Blog Talk Radio. This week's Dungeon Crawlers Radio is brought to you by Audible. Visit audiblepodcast.com slash Dungeon Crawlers Radio to start your free trial membership. It's time for Dungeon Crawlers Radio. And welcome to another exciting Dungeon Cars Radio Mini Boss. Tonight we have on author Paul S. Kemp, the author of The Godborn, which is the second book in the Sundering series from Wizards of the Coast, the book that's leading up to the upcoming tribulations that are affecting uh, Forgotten Realms, which will then be put into D&D next. So uh, this is a... I mean, this interview was done on Tuesday evening just because of scheduling issues, but we, we are airing it tonight to you uh, here on Tentacolors Radio. So enjoy this mini-boss. Connecting now. And hello. Hey, how's it going? Oh, pretty good. Right. How are you? I'm great. Good. Congrats again on the little one. Hey, thank you. So, when was yours born? She was born in the middle of August, August yeah. 16th. Okay, yeah, I, we had one as well, August 10th. So. Hey, congrats. Oh, thanks. So you're not getting a lot of sleep either. No. Oh, uh, uh, yeah. In fact, last night, I think, was the first night we slept all the way through the night. Wow, that's great, though. That's early. Mm, yeah. Yeah. But we'll see if it, we have it again tonight. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I wouldn't hold my breath. Yeah, it's probably going to be some fluke. <laughs> but, so, how? I mean, how's things going? It sounds like uh, things for the new book, Godborn's got rocking and rolling. It sounds like but, there's a lot know, of interest. Things are going well. The uh, people do seem to be excited about it. I, you know, to some degree, I suppose that's. It's not a huge surprise, only in that, you know, the book's been had five years essentially <laughs> build up an audience. I mean, there have been so many kind of hiccups on the road to getting this story out there that that um, there's there's been a lot of time to 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 get everybody kind of lined up. Yeah. Nice. So. Uh... I guess I'll just jump off. Going start, you know, just for those of our listeners that are going to listen to the interview, can you kind of give a background to what this uh, the Godborn is? Sure, um, the Godborn is book two of what Wizards of the Coast is calling the Sundering series. And so let me just give a little background on what the sure. Sunder, what the Sundering is. The Sundering is this kind of world-spanning event that is taking place in Toril, which is the world in which um, the Forgotten Realms is set. And it is, in a way, undoing some of the things that happened as a result of an event in the past called the Spell Plague. But the critical thing to understand is that two kind of mirror image worlds that sort of coexisted in um, 
I guess alternate dimensions is a fair way to say it, but in the same space, they were coterminous, yeah. kind of collided. So some of the lands and people and things and places were transposed. So you got some some aspects of the sister world on Toral, and some parts of Toral went to the sister world, and it caused chaos, and magic was run amok, and, and many, many kinds of very strange things happened. And this was called the Age of Upheaval. It was part of it's kind of the climax of the Age of Upheaval. And that is coming to an end, and the way that it's coming to an end is that the two worlds are being sundered. They're being pulled back apart, and many of the effects of the spell plague and age of upheaval are being undone. So the so that's sort of the sundering event, the big event in a nutshell. The series is a series of six books told by six different authors. The books are um, the books are standalone. Strictly speaking, the books are standalone. They don't necessarily feature overlapping characters or directly overlapping storylines, except that the sundering, this big event, it's not just a single event whereby the worlds are just pulled apart, yoink, and that's that. There's a, there's a whole series of events that begins in Bob's book, R.A. Salvatore's book, The Companions, that moves along further in my book, The Godborn, and then I think it's probably fair to say begins to pick up speed through the latter four books until we reach a final climax in Ed Greenwood's book, the Herald. So what ties all of the books together, there's a little more than this, and I'll mention that in a minute, but the, the primary thing that ties all of the books together is that each of them is showing the sundering event through the eyes of the protagonist in the book. And um, it's a bit like, I think Aaron Evans described it this way, and I really like it, it's a bit like telling the story of World War II in six separate novels through the eyes of, you know, an American GI as he lands in, and, and on North Africa, and then uh, a British soldier as he lands on, you know, Sword Beach in on D-Day, and maybe a German soldier in the Battle of the Bulge, and that kind of thing. So you kind of get, you get this broad sort of spectrum of the event through the eyes of many different protagonists. And um, it's fun. I mean, it's exciting. Now, there are some connections between the books. I think one of the things that's common, I'm not enti- I, I think this is fair to say, is that the Shadowvar, the Netherese, appear to one degree or another in almost all of the books. Not not the same Shadowvar, the same Netherese necessarily. The, the Netherese are a very powerful um, empire in the heartlands of Faerun that are that are ruled by the twelve princes of shade and the most high Telamont Tantal, who's one of the more powerful wizards in Faerun. And um like in my book they play a critical role because they played a critical role in some of the books leading up to the Godborn. But they play a role in in many, if not all, of the other books. And then there are some other overlaps too. Like Aaron and I both use um devils to one degree or another in our books. Um, Mephistopheles in mine, I think Asmodeus, and maybe Glazia in hers. And so we, there are some Easter eggs between our books too, but, but strictly speaking, the books are standalone. But if you want to understand and get this, this kind of multi-viewed panoramic view of the sundering as it, as it occurs across Pharaoh through the eyes of different characters, then you want to read every book. Hmm. So that makes sense? No, that does. I'm actually pleased with that. That's like the best I've ever described that. Thanks, man. Yeah, you're welcome. <laughs> you know, Normally, I'm just running on for a half an hour. I think I'm talking <laughs> in circles and make no sense at all. So, with this book coming out, say, say this is your first jump on point to reading one of your books. You know, book by Paul 
Kemp. Mm-hmm. Is this kind of standalone where they can jump in and read it and they're okay, or do they need to read some of the previous books? Oh, see, no, that's a great question. It, it is. I, well, let me put it this way. I wrote it to be accessible to readers who haven't read the previous Erebus Kale stories. Okay. But I also wrote it, and this was the trick that I was trying to – not the trick. This was the, the, the kind of the line that I was trying to walk as I wrote it. I also wanted it to be rewarding for the characters, for the readers who are longtime readers of these characters. Now, based on the early reviews that I've seen, because I've gotten a lot of reviews from people who've never read the Kale stories before – the vast majority of them seemed to get into it and understood it without any problem. They got the context. They got everything that was going on. They they became, you know, uh, attached to or despised the characters and the villains and so on. So that seemed to work pretty well. Um, you know, that said, I think people who have read all of the stories leading up to this one will probably get a, some subtle things that people who haven't uh, may not get. But but I think on the whole, yeah, it's, it's accessible. I You know... I haven't said this anywhere before because I've been kind of nervous about saying it, but I, I think that the book, I think that it um, it rewards an attentive reader. So if you are, if you're a person who has never read the Kale stories before, but you're willing to come into this and just dive in feet first, you're not going to be lost. But if you pay attention to what's going on, it'll be a rewarding experience for you. If you're somebody who kind of likes um, and there probably aren't too many of these people. But if you're, if you're a reader who kind of likes everything to be sort of spoon-fed or set out on a platter for you so you understand exactly what's going on, this book, I, you know, I mean, in fairness, and I don't want to discourage anybody from reading, but it could be a little bit of a challenge for you because the plot is it's intricate, and lots of the players don't understand the full scope of what's going on. Everything that's the full scope of what's going on is there. It's in the book, and, and this, you know, readers are going to pick up on it, um, if they're following along with some care, but but none of the individuals do. So you never get you know the internal dialogue or the external dialogue of somebody going, well, here's what's happening, Bob, and they you know sort of lay it all out and here's why. You get little bits and pieces from this character's perspective, bits and pieces from this character's perspective, and then when we kind of get to this this climax, I think things become clear. But you know it it it's 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 going to reward the attentive reader. Mm-hmm. So cliff notes are kind of like a, a kind of a no go on this one. <laughs> I you know I'd be fine with cliff notes. I just I I, I I I that's just what I think. I could be wrong, but that's 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 my sense of it. So you know, for the most part, the, the folks who have reviewed it early, the folks who have who know nothing at all about the Forgotten Realms. I think have had, but they would have trouble with any realms novel, and they might have a little trouble with it because they'd be like, "I don't even know who these gods are. I don't understand what's going on." If yeah. you're at least mildly familiar with the realms, you're going to be fine. Nice. nice, and then hence the reward. So, yeah. what was it like conveying such a large, helping? Well, I guess being part of that large uh, scope, you likened it to World War II. I mean, what sort of things were sort of amped up to? to convey this large scope that Kale is now part of? Well, I mean, that, so you, what's happening in these early two books is um, it, it kind of has a more indirect effect on on the characters and the power players in my book because they know something's happening. They have, uh, the, the real powerful guys have an inkling that, that things that there's some kind of divine drama unfolding that 
that that the world is undergoing some kind of enormous change, but they don't know what it is. So their behavior in the book is kind of driven to hedge against uh, unknowns. So, so you know, from my I'm, I'm writing about a relatively um, I'm just taking a piece in time of what's happening with the sundering, and it's early in the sundering. So a lot of it is is happening in a way. Um, it's like we got this. There's this big canvas, and in the background, you know, to stick to our sort of World War II things, there are, there are tanks and ships and planes and everything just whizzing around back there. But our primary focus is on, you know, the squad of guys led by Tom Hanks taking, trying to find Private Ryan. I mean, it's that kind of thing. Yeah. Where, where we, we, I, I, in fact, the first two, when we talked about this at the Story Summit, we all decided that we wanted the first two books of the series to be the sort of, I want to say this the right way, but the ones that were, um, how do I say this right? They're character-driven, but everybody's books are going to be character-driven, but they're very sort of, character focused in a way and and the big events are just getting started mm-hmm. so um you know my focus is really sort of narrowly fixed on there's a lot of players in this book but on the on the particular narrow motivations of the of the players in this book i'm not sure if i answered your question or not no mm-hmm. i mean that, that that sounded great yeah, because it's important to have that uh, to bring uh, how personal i guess such a large uh, a large uh, event is. Exactly. I mean, you, you don't want it to read like history, and and you don't want it to read like a treatise. You know, you, you, this needs to be driven by by very personal stakes and very personal motivations, and 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 that's what's happening here. You know, we have. I mean, I, there's a one of the subplots of the book is this tension, powerful tension between two Shadowvar brothers, these two princes who. Are part of this family that has been um, just monolithic for centuries. I mean, in terms of the, they moved in lockstep because they faced these sort of external dangers. But but a, but a, a really horrible secret came to be known to one of the brothers about the other one, and it's caused an irrevocable rift between them. And this one brother just wants nothing more than revenge against the other, and uh, that drives. That's what's really driving his decision making. It just happens that. That that his desire for that intersects with these larger stories that are happening. Hmm. hmm. I mean, this is really exciting. I mean, because I did I read Bob's book and and I'm partially through yours, but I like how you have it just dove right into this big event, and mm-hmm. kind of very uh, you know it, it's like this slow build up, and then I'm guessing we end with. Uh, Ed's book, which is probably where most of it's happening. Um, yeah, I mean, I think I think big th- big things are happening in all of the books. Okay. It, 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 you know, I mean, by the time you get to the end of the Godborn, there are some some big events that have occurred. Okay. Um, but in the grand scheme of the Sundering, you know, they're not. The, the, the worlds don't separate in the Godborn. Some other things happen that are big in any sort of absolute sense, in any objective sense. They're large events, but they're not, you know, the, there are still many, many large and important things that, that that need to and that will happen as part of these worlds separating and pulling apart. But I don't ruin that for you because you're not there. Yeah. No, no, that's okay. Yeah, I'm, I'm one of those people that's, that doesn't mind that. Yeah, I'm, uh, I'm one of those 
<laughs> uh, it well, sounds like good. we're getting a little bit of I'm a I'm still not ruining it for you. <laughs> so what was it like then to uh, to begin collaborating with uh, the oh, yeah, other... We are getting a little glitch. I can hear you guys glitching a little. Yeah. Let me try to move. That's okay. kind of interesting. Any better? Yeah, uh, I can hear you just fine. Can you hear us? I can hear you. Okay, great. Okay, great. Okay, I think we got it. So, uh, yeah, what was it like then collaborate, beginning collaborating with the other five authors, uh, you know, Aaron and and Bob and Ed, stuff like that? What what sort of input did you did they give you, and what sort of stuff were you helping them with? Oh, it totally sucked because they are just terrible, terrible people. No, they, they, <laughs> they, 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 they're awesome, and you know, I mean, it was. It, Anytime you get in a room with a, a lot of creative thinking people, big thinkers, that kind of thing, I mean, there's a lot of energy in the room. Now, I had to participate in all of these remotely because of my day job and, and family and so forth. But even still, it was, it was you know, a lot of lively discussion, a lot of creative um, bouncing ideas off one another. You, it, it's funny the way that this worked, though, is the, the story of the Godborn is something that I've kind of had in my head and even partially and nearly very big chunks of it out on paper because we were going to publish this story as part of a trilogy um, years ago, really. And um, so when Wizards approached me about doing the Sundering, I said, well, what about this trilogy that I'm supposed to be doing? And they said, well, let's just put that aside for the moment. We want you to focus on this. And I said, fine, we can do that. And then, you know, we sat down and started kicking around the concepts that we wanted to explore in the Sundering and the kinds of things that we wanted to see happen for the Forgotten Realms. And after really the, the first day of that, it became very clear to me that the story that I had planned to write and had been sort of holding in my head for all those years was, was going to fit perfectly with this. So after that first story, so I came home that, that night, had, you know, full bottle of whiskey and typed up a rage-filled drunken missive to the rest of the group <laughs> and said, no, you know, so I mean, I, I did, I came home and I, I typed up this long email saying, listen, here's what I was going to do with the Godborn and here's how I think it actually fits perfectly with the Sundering. And, and right away everybody said, oh, that's, you're exactly right. You need to, that's the story you need to tell. So um, for me, you know, in some ways the the story itself was, was, I mean, it wasn't written, but it was kind of written already. Yeah. yeah. So, um, you know, in terms of sort of big creative feedback from the rest of the group, there wasn't a ton of that in my case, only because the the, the book itself was something that I had had put together long before in a way. Now, you know, as I wrote, actually wrote it, wrote it, and refined it, you know, I got discussions both with the editor kind of running running between myself and other members of the group and traded some emails with Aaron about devils and all of that stuff as we went. So th there was that kind of give and take, that, and that's normal in any kind of project like this. So then would you describe the process uh, compared to some of your other works as easier? Um, well, it depends on what you mean by other works. I mean, any time that I'm writing on my entirely on my own, Mm -hmm. That's obviously going to be the easiest, right? Because you don't have to worry about bumping into anybody else's sort of sandbox. Yeah. In the in the case of something that's a little more analogous to this, like the War of the Spider Queen, where I wrote the final book of that series, this was this was easier than that 
because in that case, that book, I had a lot of creative freedom, but I had to end the book a certain way. So they said, here's how this book has to end, because they had developed this. I came to to that series late, and they had already developed the storyline. So they said, this is how this book has to end. We don't care how you get there. So... You know, the end point was established for me with with mm-hmm. War of the, with Resurrection and War of the Spider Queen. Yeah. yeah. Um, whereas here, there was none of that. You know, this was very much more so. Uh, I let them know what I wanted to write, and now as we went through, as we developed the events of the Sundering, because in the background here we have this really l- l- elaborate document prepared, this timeline that establishes all of the things that happen in the Sundering and when. Now, that got developed after the story summit and after I had already written a first draft, so many of those things I incorporated into the draft as we went. But that's not that's not hard in any meaningful sense. That's just, you know, you just want to work that stuff in. Do you enjoy listening to Dungeon Crawlers Radio? Do you know that you can help support our show by shopping on Amazon.com just like you do every day with no extra fees or subscriptions? You can just simply go to our website, DungeonCrawlersRadio.com, clear out your cookies and shop like normal. And this directly helps Central College Radio to continue bringing you great quality shows that you've come to expect. And not only that, you can pick up Paul S. Kemp's book on audio, book, ebook, or standard bo- uh, hardback book. And all you have to do is shop as normal. Hi, this is Ed Greenwood. You're listening to Dungeon Crawls Radio and Crawl Baby Crawl. Hmm. So then, uh, how then how can we expect a character like Caleb then to be changed after the events of Godborn? Um, well, um, when are you gonna, when are we airing this, Mike? <laughs> uh, Thursday. This Thursday? Yes. Um. Uh, um <laughs> well, I mean, it, it, so like, let me talk about um, like Vase and Kale. Sure. So, the, so the, the the events that that conclude the book, because I, I, I'm not trying to be coy. It's just that if we're airing it Thursday, I would be careful about too many yes. spoilers, yes. right? Because we get a few days. The the events of the Godborn that 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 climax result in in I think all of them, all of the guys who survive this, being. Um, there's a spiritual dimension for Vason that that he has to face because he engages in some things and does a couple of things that <laughs> this is like there's no no substance here. I'm like, so this guy does this thing and everyone he did this thing. <laughs> so he 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 will be changed in that his relationship to his faith is changed. And um, you know, other people suffer losses of of family and and have to deal with that and and others face a d- different kind of crises of faith and um and man <laughs> I'm dancing all around everything because I can't say anything and I'm no, sorry but you're, you're doing a good job everybody's going to everybody gets changed by the events in the book you know but not just the end but throughout the whole entire book you know the one of the things that I try to always do and that I think all authors do obviously is you establish character arcs for our characters and they develop over the course of the novel as events, um, as they do things or events do things to them, and they, they're forced to make choices, and those choices cause them to go down certain paths, and those paths change them. And all of them, you know, Orson, Basin, Garrick, all of these guys face 
just uh, particularly Garrick, just some heartbreaking kinds of decisions and challenges, and and they're all changed by it. And and so, you know, the, the, some of the follow-up books that I'll be doing with the surviving characters will will explore those those characters as they've been changed and modified by the events in this book. Mm-hmm. That's a good question you asked. It's just one I don't feel like I can really like. If we were talking a week later, we you know yeah. if you were if this was there on Tuesday, I'd be like, okay, so here's what I, <laughs> what <laughs> no, happened. I think you did a great job kind of skirting around those, but still, oh, thanks. You know, letting us know that things are going to happen to them and it's going to affect them in the in, books to come. I mean, mm-hmm. that's yeah, it has to. You know, yeah. I, I look at if you think about and I you you guys probably haven't read all the previous Kale novels, but I mean, I've been writing these characters since 2000 and the kinds of things that have changed with uh, Erebus before he died and with Drasic Riven and Magadan I mean these guys have underwent so many and nobody stays the I mean it's not that they're unrecognizable it's just that if you were to look at them at the end of the Twilight War or at the beginning of the Godborn and compare the characters with where they were in say Shadows Witness or, or the Erebus Kale trilogy, they're just vastly different characters because the events have so have just been so formative on them. The kinds of things that have occurred and that they've had to do have just you know made them into different men, mm-hmm. and and that's the fun of it. And frankly, I think that's why you know the the readers who who love the Kale characters and stories so much identify with them so well because you know they they sort of journeyed with them throughout this whole long character arc and, and it's been a fun ride well and I think that's just a testament to a good character that they go they through go these through. events and they change it's kind of one thing that I know some people have kind of a uh, there is some tension like with Star Wars because you have Luke Skywalker and he's pretty much Luke, the same Luke Skywalker throughout the whole thing um, yeah you know it's interesting you say that I, I, I did not see the seminar but an author that I interact with online was talking about Pat Rothfuss at a convention. It might have been a Gen Con. And Pat's thesis was that readers do not like characters to change much. Mm-hmm. They, they like characters who who stay the same. Now, I, I wasn't in a room, so I, I, don't, I don't know exactly what he said. And, I, you know, there, there's, this is one of those things that there's a core of truth there and that I think readers like a character to have an identifiable core. Yeah, yeah. But... But characters obviously move and develop, uh, and that core may expand or shrink depending upon events, and 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 in some cases can radically transform. Although that's probably rare. Yeah. yeah. But but yeah, no, I agree with you. I think it, it it can be people. On the one hand, you like familiarity, and it's nice to go home again. But on the other hand, it starts to strain credulity a little bit when, you know, a character's you've written about the same guy for ten books or twelve books or something, and he seems to be essentially exactly the same guy. I mean. You know, he's undergone enormous trials and lost friends and allies, killed many enemies and suffered mightily, and yet he's kind of like the same dude. Yeah. yeah. And you just, that, that, you know, that's one of those things where it can get, where you're like, hmm, not so sure that that makes a lot of sense. But but then, you know, who knows? Maybe it, 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 it works sometimes. Yeah. Because there are characters out there that haven't changed a hell of a lot over the years, and they do very well. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, but introducing a new character, it, it seems almost essential to have at least some uh, defining moment, something that radically changes their thinking or shakes up their uh, preconceived notions. Mm-hmm. You know, that first time that, you know, uh, that adventurer, you know, uh, defeats his first enemy or something on the battlefield or, you know, a soldier 
steps onto the onto the front line for the first time. You know, that's you you, you can't portray that I think and not have it shake them in some way. No, I, you're right about that. I think the the, the even the, the the more fun to to sort of build off of that, the, the the really fun thing to do is to establish a character with a kind of core belief set, and then in the context of one of those events that you just articulated, to force them to to, to have the consequence of that event be to challenge that core belief. So you know the, the you know I think about. You know, Vason, for example, in the book, again, I don't want to give any spoilers, but Vason is not his – Erebus Kale was a character who was very much an ends justifies the means kind of guy. And he felt bad about that sometimes, but push came to shove. He would do whatever needed to be done to get to wherever he needed to go. Vason, his son, who was raised in a, in a, in a monastery in a religious environment, is a very principled dude. Now, Kale had his code, but, but – his code was very much this kind of ends justify means, whereas in Basin's case, he, he's kind of a very archetypical, noble kind of warrior who aspires to these higher ideals. And his problem is that, that you know, the, the, the abstract ideals that he adheres to, and this is true of anybody who adheres to these kinds of abstract ideals of honor and nobility and so forth, those things really um, can get hard to maintain in the face of dirty, gritty, Human relationships and the kinds of things that can occur in the in the course of particularly in the course of a fantasy book where you you can have some really depraved evil guys. So, you know, Basin's problem isn't isn't so much that he 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 doesn't. Basin always wants to do right, but he he he's always on himself that he's not doing right enough. And then you know when you when he's challenged when events sort of crash up against that code. And, and the temptation to to fall is there. That, that's a very hard thing for a character like that. A character like Kale, you know, if he surrenders to that dark nature. Yeah, he beats himself up over it for a little while, <laughs> but he's okay. You know, somebody like Basin falls down into that pit. It's very hard for him to get out because it's a very deep hole for him. Yeah, yeah. So then maybe this will be a kind of a. I don't know, almost a fan fiction kind of question, but I mean, what sort of villain would Vason have to face that to, uh, I guess, permanently change his line of thinking? What 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 villain, be it through literature, your own or others, or through like a movie, what kind of villain would he face? Would do that? You know what? I I, I mean, that's a tough question. I, I might have to kind of answer it in the abstract. I I he would have. Di- I think the kinds of things that could give him trouble um, would be the, the villain who um, is using exceedingly evil methods to accomplish a thing that aligns with Vason's concept of good. So, um, I mean, it, it, I don't. I'm trying to think of a good example of something, but you know, if you if you just have an evil guy who um, obviously evil people don't think of themselves as evil, but if you have an antagonist who is um, interested in accomplishing a thing for for this realm or this kingdom, and this would be inarguably be a good thing for a good number of people. I can't think of something off the top of my head, but it has to do with farm policy, say. So you have a realm that where lots of people are starving, and 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 you know this character is. 
is has a means by which he can feed a very large proportion of the people, but but in order to get to that end, has to do some pretty awful things. Mm-hmm. You know, a, any character who adheres, you know, a, a character like Vason is going to struggle with that to some degree, because your position is going to be that's objectively wrong. The methods that you're using are objectively wrong, notwithstanding the fact that the end that you're attempting to get to is is a good one. But but that's that's where sort of the ideal, the abstract nature of good kind of runs into conflicts with sort of real-world applications of the, the kinds of trade-offs that one has to make in order to accomplish things. Mm-hmm. So, you know, I, I don't know if that would shake him to his core, because I don't know if this is a guy who's easily shaken. Yeah, but, yeah. But, but, but it's the kind of thing that it would at least make him, make him ponder the, the, the kind of um, the way that he has, in a way, fetishized an abstraction when it comes to the things that are good. or th- You know, Basin, I mean, if you could liken him to the real world, he kind of espouses a kind of platonic ideal of good. There, there is an objective good, and I follow that thing. But, 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 you know, and this is always the problem with, with Plato, is that it is, this, this objective thing is intangible, it's a philosophical construct, and, and the real world doesn't always make it so easy to adhere to that when you have to make hard choices. Mm-hmm. So not to be, uh, Putting words, words in your mouth. I, I'm not trying to. Add, maybe I'm going to make a foregone conclusion. But it almost sounds like his, own, like the, his worst enemy would be soiling green. <laughs> yeah, there you go. It's people. Yeah, I mean, you know, yes, that kind of thing could 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 create a kind of problem for him. Sure. So not a singular person, but like the the actual ideal behind that is. Yeah, and it would. This would make it. It would make an. It, 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 if he could, his interaction with his father would be a fun one to write, mm-hmm. because as I say, Kale is very much that means ends guys, and and Basin is very much that objective good guy, and you know those two could probably have some interesting discussions. But, but as for right now, there's no. Um, there's no there's plans no, on some sort of crossover between the two. No time well, travel. Well, not at the moment, and you know, I, I think I've exhausted my my time travel allowance by having Basin shunted forward in time by mask. So, <laughs> well, but, well, that's out. I guess that's out. Yeah. yeah. So, I mean, where, uh, I, where are uh, where are listeners as of Thursday when we air? Are, are, are we going to be able to pick up copies of Godborn by that point? No. They'll be out to it'll be out Tuesday, so okay. October first is the release date. I, I don't know if it's a strict on sale title or not. So I mean, in theory, I suppose it could hit shelves over the weekend if a bookstore got their supply in and just wanted to put them out there. But maybe it is a strict on sale title, and they won't put it out until that Tuesday. I don't know. But Tuesday, October first is the release date. So not too far away. No, no, it's a it's a week. Yeah, I'm I'm enormously uh, excited and nervous about the whole thing. In fact, I have a bet with my my editor. I don't know if you guys know this, but I, I bet my my editor. He I, I have some information about the laydown for the book and all that, and it's pretty good. So, and interest seems pretty solid. So I told him, I said, well, you know, do you think that it's going to hit the Times bestseller list? And and I thought he was going to come back going, oh yeah, we're in good shape. We're he, he sends me back and he was, nah, I don't think so. <laughs> I, I, he said, "I think it's going to do well, but but 
the the competition that week's really stiff. And I said, you bastard, you are a dirty liar. <laughs> and, and, I, and I said, we, we will bet this, sir. Put your money where your mouth is. And so we did. So we have we have some scotch riding on this. I am ever the foolish optimist and and think that it will hit at least the extended list. And, and, and he has taken the position that it won't, but that he hopes he's wrong. So we will see. Nice. Well, I, is, I mean, I have looked at the like the weekly sales, you know, on the publishers' weekly list. They give book scan numbers for the books that have hit in the top twenty-five, and it is it's going to have to move a lot of copies. So, I'm a very pleasant person, listeners. It would be nice if you bought a copy. Just a little hit there. <laughs> yeah, maybe we get we we'll, we'll throw in like I don't know a hidden Easter egg or something where you call them at their house and record a message for them. I don't know. I will call you at your house. Very late at night after a full whiskey. Yeah, there you go. <laughs> you, will, you will not like the way that the direction that conversation goes, people. <laughs> but that's what you get if you buy the book. <laughs> so I, I really do hope the book goes well. I mean, it it sounds that like it's going fine. It's got I, a lot going for it. You know, it's gonna go fine. I mean, you know, the, the the Times list is like a nice thing. Yeah, it'd be great, but. Yeah, I mean, it is what it is. I mean, it's out of my control. It, the book's going to do great, I think. Judging from lots of the early reviews, people seem to be enjoying it. And fundamentally, that's that's what I'm interested in, Yeah, is that people who read it feel like it was a good use of their time and that they had some fun. And, and uh, well, I'm not sure this book quite counts. Yeah, I mean, there's there's elements of it that are fun. But it, it's a dark book. But, um, I, I, you know, that's that's all I'm interested in. Okay. Also sales, but just saying. But yes. first off, enjoyment. Enjoyment always. You want the reader to feel like they've, they've, you know, I appreciate them spending time with my characters. Now, is the book coming out in ebook and audiobook as well, or is it, it just is. standard book? Yeah, no, hardcover, ebook, and audiobook on October 1, and then uh, there's a paperback release later in 2014. I'm not exactly sure when. But keep your eye out for it. Yeah. Nice. Well, yeah. um, go, oh. go ahead. I was just going to ask uh, then, so, I mean, if anyone else is still curious about the Godborn, where can they, where will they be able to see you in person next, or where can they reach you? Um, seeing me in person is hard unless you stalk me, and don't do that. <laughs> but just because I don't, I don't do a lot of conventions, I need to do more, to be honest, but it's very hard for me to do. I mean, I have a, I'm a corporate lawyer by day, and, and, and uh, I have young children, and I don't like to leave them, and and so on. So I don't do a lot of conventions, frankly. I do if I do one a year, it's Gen Con, and I frankly don't do that one one year. I do it every other year. So if you want to find me online, where I am ubiquitous, you can find me on uh, Twitter. I'm Paul at Paul S Kemp. On Facebook, just Paul S Kemp, and then my website is paulskemp.com. And I really have a lot of fun interacting with readers and other writers and everything else, particularly on Twitter and Facebook. So join us. All right. Well, they, you may not be able to meet him in person, but you can definitely uh, joke around and talk to him on Facebook or Twitter. So, And I'm hilarious. Awesome. <laughs> Please don't stalk him, though. No, no stalking. <laughs> yeah, don't do that. That's bad. <laughs> okay. So All right. Look forward, to, uh, look forward to Godborn coming out October 1st, everyone. Paul S. Kemp, thank you so much for being with us tonight. Oh, thanks, guys. I always have a blast. I appreciate you having me. Ah, shucks. <laughs> All right. You know, no, thanks. Uh, definitely. Thanks for coming on the show. We always appreciate you coming on, and uh, it's always a pleasure. Thank you. Yeah, likewise.
So, uh, yeah, if you have anything else coming up down the pipeline that's not related to Wizards, let us know. Uh, I will. Hey, and thanks for tuning in. Uh, That was our interview with Paul S. Kemp, author of The Godborn, the second book in the Sundering series with Wizards of the Coast. Uh, Tune in next Monday, September 30th. We will be having author Jolita Clegg on the show, The Gamer Forge, Geek News, and much, much more. So tune in, and we will catch you next time on Dungeon Crawlers Radio. Until then, see you next time. Bye-bye, boys! Have fun storming the castle! Thank you, the lights? It would take a miracle. Bye-bye! Your life force is running out. (laughs) 